0: Cheers, everybody! Here, welcome to the Water Cooler. The Water Cooler show on marketing, sales, and technology. Each episode, we focus on bringing you advice that works. Today, I am very excited to be joined by my new LinkedIn friend, Angela Sun, who is the director of marketing at Hall. Hall is a platform that provides brands and the ability to shape meaningful relationships with their customers. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive to get a kind of inside, behind the scenes look at what it's like to be a professional marketer for a fast growing, innovative company. And our hope is today you're going to be able to take away some very specific and practical advice that can, you can apply to your business. So on that note, Chris, yeah. you, know, you know, you and I are obsessed with companies outside this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been studying like companies like Mad Kudu mm-hmm. and Full Story and Chorus and Gong. And, you know, Hull's been on our radar for quite some time. I just maybe want to kick it off and ask you, you know, what do you think the benefit is of people like us uh, bringing on people like Angela, people outside the industry?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, Angela, in the SaaS space, if you see the conference circuit, it's the same people, different day, right? And in our industry, in the real estate industry, it's the same thing. There's, you know, the same thought leaders giving a variation of the same speech to a different crowd year after year, you know? And so what we've tried to do is like, how can we learn from people outside of our space? But you're a marketer and you're a professional marketer. And the the reality is that in our industry in real estate, there are very few professional marketers. Most real estate agents, they wear the marketing hat and then they take that off and they wear the customer service hat. And then they take that off and they wear the accounting hat. And then they take that off and they wear the manager hat. Like marketing is is a sliver of what they spend their time on versus people like ourselves and people like you that do marketing, you know, all day, every day, live it, breathe it. Uh, It's really part of who we are. So yeah, Jimmy, I think that, you know, at least for me, I mean, we've got some good shows coming up. We've got Brad Edmond coming up. We've got Spencer Raskoff coming up. We have people from our industry, too. Mm-hmm. But I personally enjoy the non-industry conversations more. So, Angela, with that being said, tell people a little bit about your background as a marketer and then kind of what you spend your time on today at Hull.
2: Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks, guys, for having me on. This was really exciting when. Jimmy, you reached out. I didn't really know what to expect, and um, you know, I love the idea of going into different industries, different verticals, and kind of like seeing what other practitioners are doing. Um, I find myself doing that all the time. Um, I've I've been in B2B marketing, but I love seeing you know what people are doing in B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like crossing that chasm and learning from other people, other operators. Um, other marketing leaders has been, you know, it, it definitely triggers like a some mm-hmm. really interesting ideas um, when you can kind of like go outside of your bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. Yeah. Um, so I, like I said, I've been in B2B technology marketing uh, basically since the start of my career. Um, I started as kind of like an SEO copywriter um, for a cloud consulting firm called cloud Sherpas. Um, You know, I went from writing to kind of jumping into online marketing and um, managing our paid ad campaigns. Um, From there, you know, I I found that I had an affinity towards technology and like using marketing technology and using tools. Um, So that naturally moved me into like a marketing operations type role where Mm -hmm. I was dealing with um technologies and anything kind of data related, um reporting, um really kind of getting in the weeds of, of mm-hmm. marketing. Yeah. Um, and executing. Um from there, I went to a company called Urgenet here in Atlanta, which was um slightly smaller than Cloud Sherpa's at the time. Um they are a utility data aggregator. Um and they brought me on because they wanted someone to kind of like you know take what they learned in marketing operations and Martech and build out a demand generation function. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were fairly fairly early at the time and they needed um you know hands on deck to really like get campaigns going. And I loved being able to step into that role because I had the technology background. Um, but then I got to step into more of a strategic role, kind of designing these campaigns. Um, and, and not just kind of executing.
0: Yeah. And if I, if I could, Angela, real quickly there, what's, what's really interesting about what you're describing, I think this is, this is so important for our audience. What you're describing is the sort of called the makeup of a modern marketer. Because when you say marketing operations, mm-hmm. what you're referring to is an individual who is responsible for connecting all the sort of the dots to ensure that you can deploy marketing campaigns. So the sort of backend technology needed. But then as you get into demand gen, now you start to enter into sort of the consumer-facing aspect of marketing, which is, you know, what messaging are you gonna be using? What mediums are you gonna be using to reach customers? And I think this is one of the, maybe the misconceptions, Chris, in the marketing space is that we tend to we tend to sort of try to say, marketing is, you know, what you post to Facebook. But mm-hmm. if you sort of, if you go beneath the surface, what you realize that's different about professional marketers is that there's sort of this very deep knowledge base of not only the technology, the core principles, the strategies, but then they also have a specific focus on channels. You know, you described it. Maybe you can describe this for our audience, Angela. You described yourself as a T-shaped marketer. What does that actually mean?
2: Yeah, so I heard this term. I I can't really remember where. I wish I could uh, give credit to the person who said it first. Um, But the T-shaped marketer, if you think of like the shape of a T, it's this concept that a marketer... You know, a lot of marketers are generalists maybe to begin with, or, um, you know, they they kind of like dabble in a lot of different areas, Uh, brand, ads, PR, writing, operations. Um, There's a lot of like uh, areas that that they're covering um, at the top level, but then there's kind of one or two specific functional areas that they either specialize in, that they kind of started their career in, that they're like particularly interested in, um, that they can kind of really go deep on. So I love that um, that concept and that visual because mm-hmm. I really thought that that applied to me. And when I was talking to other marketers, um, that really resonated with them too.
1: Yeah. It's well, a- Jimmy, people should Google that because I just Googled it. The guy's name is Brian Balfour. He's... Ooh, okay. Yeah, he apparently uh came, came up came up with the term but the visual is really interesting where yes you're doing all these things but you're going deep on a couple um in the middle so anyway just a side note jimmy i I googled it
0: yeah brian well brian Belfour i think he was head of growth for hubspot before he started his own consultancy and i don't know if that's actually set sort of like but he was, a, he was like a vp at hubspot mm-hmm. i helped them you know go from i think not, you know where they were at to, to ipo so uh, he's someone who certainly is is well respected in our industry. So, so Angela, let's let's get into some specifics here for a second. Um, you know, you, you me, uh, give us a little bit of background. I want to I want to bring us to present day here for a moment before we get into tactics. Um, you're now at Hull, and 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 I have this fascination with with Hull, uh, and I, and I want you to describe what it, what Hull actually is. But I, if I were to just sort of just set the stage here, I think there's a problem. That exists right now marketing that has a that has an incredible downstream impact for every other department sales customer service. Um, and that is marketers tend to use many different applications and to get the job done. Uh, we use live chat tools like drift. We use our CRM We use our own custom CMS. We use our own custom email tool. And what happens is, is that the customer profile bits and pieces of it exist in a lot of different applications. And so okay. there is no, there is no sort of central source of truth. So uh, what that means for someone in sales is you're always operating with a little bit of information, but not the complete profile. What that means for customer service is you're operating with a little bit of information, but not the complete profile. So, so for our audience um, maybe just give a background, like how, do does, what is whole, what, is what do they do? Why do they exist? And, and, and what are you guys trying to, what are you guys trying to do out there in Atlanta?
2: Yeah. Um, so you hit the nail on the head. There is a huge problem in marketing, um, with the kind of onset of so many tools and technologies that host all this kind of data on your customers and your prospects. Um, and with each new tool, you know, you have data that lives in one spot, but it doesn't really share data with other tools. Um, So you have these, like, disjointed customer profiles. You have information that's really, you know, a piece of the puzzle, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Hull solves that problem um, by creating a unified view of the customer and centralizing all that data. Um, the, The technology that Hull is is called a customer data platform or a CDP. And CDPs were really born out of that need to reconcile and organize disparate data sets um, across different tools and technologies. Um, Once that data is in one place um, in one central repository, you have a single source of truth. You have a single customer view. um, You have a profile of your prospect or your customer that literally has, you know, sections on the profile that pull data from all these different tools. So it's a, it's a really kind of central um, unified picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, once that data is in, the, in one place, that's where things get really, really interesting. Um, Cause people ask all the time, like, okay, I have my data in whole, like, what do I do now? Um, that's where you can do things like personalized communication. This is where, you can unlock opportunities to save on costs, um, reduce data redundancies, um, create operational efficiencies, because um, your data can kind of like, you know, quickly be shared across applications versus like this kind of web of data integrations um, yeah. back and forth. Well, h- help us understand
0: this 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 concept here as as novices, you know, who are let's say trying to use data to. Create better marketing campaigns. How how do you guys think about that at all? So you have a front row seat at this is the absolute cutting edge in this industry, which is aggregating all the customer data to be able to personalize marketing campaigns and experiences. This is this is on the this is maybe five years ahead of where our industry is currently at today. Um, how do you think about like? How do you apply that in a practical data that, you know, you write blog posts, you send emails, you create ads. How are you using data to do that stuff better?
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question. And, and to be honest, um, you know, we at Hull are in some ways still kind of scratching the surface of what Hull can do mm-hmm. um, because they're are so many different use cases and so many different applications of ACDP that can be implemented and executed on. Yeah. Um, and as a small team, you know, we, we are um, certainly trying to make the most of our tool. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example. And I, I actually, I honestly feel like our customers have the best stories.
0: Sure. Well, um, I, I, think that, I think that'd be helpful to maybe just hear from a, 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 how your customers use it. But I'm actually curious to get your take on this, Chris. Like when you think about marketing on our side in real estate, yeah, where do you think the opportunity lies in terms of using data in a smart way? Because what you're describing, Angela, is the future of marketing is is aggregating the data, centralizing and creating a single source of truth so that then you can personalize yeah. the experience. How does that apply in real estate, Chris?
1: Well, I think it's the, the more relevant you are the more effective your marketing becomes. So I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you a few data points. You take a, you take a group of leads from your database Mm -hmm. that registered a year ago. Right. So you, so you create a segment and you say, Hey, leads added to the CRM 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you you take another data set which says who have been active on our website in the last seven days, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And then you take another segment and you say original lead source equals Zillow, right? And I'll just stop with those three data points. Well, now I can take a group of people. And I can market to them and make them feel like they're the only ones I'm speaking to. Uh, there's a term called account-based marketing, which is like, if you get this right, your marketing feels like it's happening at a one-to-one level, even when it happens at scale. Mm -hmm. So now I can write a message and say, Hey, Hey Susie, like merge code, first name. That's another like small way to make something more (laughs) relevant. Like, Hey, first name, I got your information from Zillow about a year ago. And I noticed that you are on our website this week looking at homes for sale. Mm-hmm. Did, did you have any questions for me or did you find a home that you may wanna go look at? Yeah. And when you, when you sort of insert those little nuggets of like LinkedIn database, lead source, active recently, it just, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like marketing anymore. It, it, feel feels like it a personal one-to-one feels,
2: conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the, we've all gotten these messages, Angela, that's like, we get them all the time about the podcast. Hey, I saw your podcast. We've got a guest that would be great for you. Mm-hmm. And LinkedIn, because I know you're big on LinkedIn. <laughs> Jimmy's got some LinkedIn questions for you. Like, I mean, is there another place where messages feel less personal than LinkedIn, right? <laughs> or just constantly getting spammed. So I think the goal for the audience should be to make their messages as relevant as humanly possible. And the way that you do that is through taking advantage of the data that you have. In our industry, Angela, what's happened is companies like ours, we have become sort of their whole tech stack to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So in real estate, like it's not really that common to get like, you know, Wordpress for your website and Unbounce for your landing pages and Mailchimp for your email because, you know, to integrate those and API those. And so there's there's companies like ours where we're the website, we're the CRM, we're the email tool, we're the landing page tool. And then you have the upside of all of your data seamlessly integrating and talking to itself, which again, creates more relevant campaigns. So... That's kind of what comes to mind, Jimmy, is like, how can we build a list mm-hmm. and craft a message so that the recipient feels
0: like they're the only ones that got it? That's the mecca, in my opinion. And Angela, is that what you're seeing with your customers with all? Like, is that what they're basically doing something along those lines?
2: Yeah. So that that's a really big use case, this personalization at scale. Um, and that's kind of like a fairly... Um, popular yet advanced use case. Um, mm-hmm. when, when we first onboard customers, kind of the, the first thing that, that they do is just get all the data together, get it all in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start kind of building up and executing on these use cases one after the next. Um, that kind of personalization at scale is definitely like something that they aspire to do um, and Chris, you, you mentioned it, like, that's, that is what makes your marketing work and that, that relevancy. Um, and you really can't do that. You can't enable that without having the data, um, mm-hmm. at hand, right. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's in different places, especially if, you know, one team has data that another team needs, um, that kind of, that, that, um, it just becomes an an operational burden to, to kind of, to get to that.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I heard a, um, this is, this is interesting. We're asking our audience to kind of get into a time machine right now and just sort of transport to the future a little bit because uh, you know, I I was listening to an interesting podcast where they said, you know, where is Amazon going in a few years? And they said, Amazon is going to now start shipping you things without you requesting it. It's going to be a box of stuff that you need. And anything that you don't want, you you just basically send it back to them. They're not going to ask you permission. They're going to ship it to you, bill you, because they're going to be able to track your preferences and your behaviors so closely that like they're going to remove the inconvenience of visiting their website, putting it into the car, Right? It's the it's the zero click checkout experience. And they keep talking about this. Um, what are other businesses? What are other businesses using data for as it relates to marketing and sales? Angela, you know, Chris gave a good example of a use case with. Um, kind of personalization at the like maybe at an email level. How are other businesses using that are on the cutting edge of this? How do you see them using data to improve the performance of their marketing campaigns?
2: Yeah, so that that personalization one is a really really big one. Um, I think a lot of the use cases that our customers implement kind of like lead up to that. Um, I'm trying to think of some some good ones. Um, we uh, trying to think of some good ones. Um, well, sorry, my mind's like blinking right now. Um, we just have like so many kind of customers doing all all kinds of things. Yeah, no. Um,
0: well, Chris, I'm, uh, I'm as you're, you're thinking about that, Angela. I think I just for me, Chris. I think about it in the context of, I've seen this too, Angela, where I've seen uh, companies who have used it as a way to, um, on the front door when they're capturing leads, right? They do a little bit of personalization there. We've seen that with some, when some companies. Um, but I, let, let's, take a, let's take maybe the 30,000-foot view for a second, which is when you think about maybe first understanding your customers. I know one topic that you're, top, you're passionate about is consumer research, and understanding consumer insight like i think right now if there's information that we can collect passively about the customer which is either they 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 fill out a form or they 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 do a behavior but I, I want you maybe to spend some time talking a little bit about what it like what what consumer research what role consumer research plays in understanding your customers so if we're using data to personalize our marketing campaigns how do we use consumer research to better understand our customers in an effort to improve our marketing? Uh, I know it's something you think a lot about and you spend a lot of time studying, so like go go a bit deeper on that topic if you could.
2: Yeah, um, so that was something that I was kind of exposed to towards the end of my time at UrgeNet, um, this kind of product marketing, customer research, Mm -hmm. Um, buyer personas. And I don't think I really realized how valuable it was until I got to Hull and, um, you know, was kind of tasked with building out this marketing function, um, you know, with, with no other marketing team member, um, Mm -hmm. you know, not talking from scratch, but from starting from a pretty early, early stage. um, You know, I think that the, the inclination when you kind of start a marketing function is is to kind of you you get you're excited, right? You want to you want to start running, you want to start like putting out campaigns, sending emails. Um, you want to get things going really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know when when the results don't pan out, you're kind of like, well, you know what what could have happened? Like mm-hmm. was my CTA not right? Was was you know this thing uh, not not aligned? It really kind of takes a super zoomed out um, perspective to, I think, understand the customer, what they want to hear, yeah, um, what they're looking for, what their pain points are. You got to get that foundation down before you do anything. So I was really tempted at Whole to, you know, start doing stuff right away, start writing blogs. And I realized I don't know our customers. Um, you know, I, I just joined. I don't know what their problems are. I don't know why they sought us out. Um, I don't know what they care about. You know, what, what, what goals they have. Yeah. And what their company's goals are. So um, I ended up spending, I think, the first like month just talking to as many customers as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to talk to buyers. I tried to talk to users. Um, I really tried to kind of create this like world, um, where I could really understand and see, you know, from their eyes, what Hull does for them and kind of where we fit in not only their tech stack, but like in their strategic plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and this is just a, a follow up question for Chris here. Chris, can you think of a real estate company right now that conducts consumer research that actually not calls for reviews to say, hey, could you go on Zillow and tell everyone how great I am, but actually calls their customers and says, hey, let's talk about your experience and your journey?
1: You know, I think, no, the quick answer is no. I think where people need to turn the corner because when we're talking about marketing, everybody cares about attribution. Yeah. So what they're thinking is, how'd you find out about this? Right? Yeah. And that's important. Like we watched your podcast, we read your book, we did a Google search, we saw an ad. That's great. Because then you go, okay, if X amount of people throughout the week or month or year attribute this marketing tactic. Uh-huh to why they found us. We should double down, triple down on that and continue to invest in that. But it, it's actually one of the most interesting questions that you can ask someone. And I, I think everybody watching, if they're looking for something actionable that they can do based on watching this show or listening on the replay, email your past clients and say, why did you choose me? Like. Right. Why did you hire me? Yeah. Not how'd you find out about me, mm-hmm. but like, what was the reason that you decided to work with me when you could have worked with lots of other people?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now they may say, well, because your marketing was great. They might say because you your personality. They might say because you have a team. They might say because uh you work for a large successful company and that was important to us. Yeah. Right? But I do think that like surveys and polling people, the past predicts the future. So Mm -hmm. like as an example, if you ask a hundred clients why they hired you and you come up with like this data set of like, wow, 30% of the people said they hired me because of X. Well, now you go to your website, you go to your blog, you go to your emails, you go to your marketing and you say, are we conveying that? Mm-hmm. right are we conveying the reasons people are hiring us in our message like I remember um, we'll call you back quickly mm-hmm. right like that's a, that's like a big pain point in real estate is that real estate agents they don't call you back or like in some cases they still want to use a fax machine right like are they hiring you because you're tech savvy are they hiring you because yeah. you're modern are they hiring because you have a lot of experience are they hiring you because you have a lot of positive reviews from people like them that worked with you. So I I don't, you know, obviously there's SurveyMonkey. Yeah. You can do net promoter scores. There's a lot of way to gather that data. But I think what's interesting, and I think, you know, the difference, Jimmy, between a pro marketer and an amateur marketer is the amount of time put in to the, the gathering versus the hunting. Yeah right gathering information gathering insight letting that create a strategy then deploying yeah and then analyzing
0: by the way right so Mm
1: -hmm. anyway those are the things that came to mind when you asked yeah
0: and i I guess angela was there any specific question you found when you're going through this consumer research that really got to unlock that because chris's point is we can ask questions like you know how did you hear about me and i think people tend to be pretty terrible at ex- that recreating their consumer journey. Meaning, like someone say, that they, they may give like they, they give like the last point of attribution, but they don't right. they, they don't say, oh, I saw an Instagram ad, and then like it, like it, that's stored in my short term memory bank, and then when I was googling you, I sort of made the connection there, and then I saw a Facebook ad the next day, and I clicked through to your website, and then I contacted you. They're gonna say, oh, I tweeted your website mm-hmm. and, and called you. So. Uh, Was there questions that you asked during the consumer research project that you felt like, okay, this specific question kind of unlocks some insight that I could use for my marketing?
2: Yeah. So that, I mean, I I still love the question, how did you hear about us? I mean, it does have challenges, of course. Um, You know, that that answers a very specific and different question. It, It answers the, you know, where do I then invest my marketing dollars from a channel from an acquisition standpoint, sure. but it doesn't answer the question, what do I say to my potential customers? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, um, what message am I putting out there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I go into customer interviews kind of with, um, with two hats on um, you know, I, I, I wear the hat of the product marketer whose job is it to really understand the customer's role in their company, um, their goals, their organizational goals, um, Mm -hmm. the point in time that it made sense for them to be researching or evaluating a tool like Hull. So you can kind of like see where you, where your tool or your service fits in kind of the maturity of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I ask questions that try to get to, to that. Um, I also try to understand like what their team looks like, what their buying process looks like. So who Mm -hmm. else are they involving? Um, And this, this, um, that insight we end up sharing with sales because Sales needs to know, like, what are my blockers when I'm trying to close a deal? Um, who else needs to be involved? Who are the stakeholders? Who's actually the decision maker? Um, so I really try to, like, understand the buying process as much as possible. Um, on the same vein as, you know, how did you hear about us? I like to ask, like, you know, not in these words, but, like, where do you hang out online? You know, where where are you getting research yeah where are you where are you learning about stuff related to your job um you know what are you perusing at night just so you kind of have an idea of like you know where where you should like think about putting these are
0: all these are all questions a man cannot ask angela just to be clear we cannot, we cannot say, where do you hang out online? Keep perusing late at night? Yes, men cannot ask that question. Well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me unpack this for a second here, Chris. And I want you to expand on this too because Angela gave me a couple ideas. Um, I think the questions we would want to ask people are, number one, um, goals. What were you setting out to achieve when you went out to hire me? So, like, what was your aspiration? Now, this might sound obvious for us in real estate. Oh, my goal was to sell my house. But they're, they're, they actually may have other goals. Well, my goal was to find a real estate agent who would help me sell my house in the current condition that it was in and not have to go through the painful process of making upgrades. So like, you know, understanding goals. The second thing was the situations. When you're describing like the structure of their team and who they are, like uh, what was their current situation? What was the sort of maybe the catalyst that caused them to begin the, the process? Like what was the moment where they said, Cause there is this moment, everybody who's listening today on this, on the call, like there's a moment where someone says, I think I want to sell my house. Mm -hmm. And like, if we can understand as marketers, what that moment is and what the catalyst is for that moment, it kind of creates opportunities for us to begin to speak to that. And the third thing you mentioned, Angela, I that was really interesting was, uh, motivation. What caused them to make this decision today? Why not wait? So when you think about, Chris, and, I, and maybe get, get you to weigh in on this, and just think about maybe a question you might ask somebody, because I think this is such an interesting topic, but like, if we're trying to understand the goals and the motivations in the, in the situation that the customer's in to better develop marketing campaigns for the future, what might be a question you think of when you think about kind of uncovering those, those, those truths? Well, when I think about the current climate, I think about size. Like, is your house big
1: enough? Mm -hmm. when you spend six months locked up in your house, you start to realize like it's not big enough to work from home. Do you have a home office? Like there was some research that compass put out that was like the average size of the homes. People are looking at online. The the square footage is bigger searches for things like home offices.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So I think, um, and by the way, searches for divorce attorneys are higher. <laughs> yes, you know, like you either love your spouse more or less because of COVID. Mm-hmm. You love your home more or less. I actually think that's a an interesting campaign that people could run. Like, hey, I'm guessing you've been spending more time than ever in your home. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that because of that, you've started to realize that you either really love it or you might need one that's a little bigger. I'm guessing that you might actually be working remotely, yeah. you know, like the, the house that we're in, thankfully, is really good for like remote work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple different offices. We've got room for the kids to do their school stuff in their rooms. Their rooms are big enough for that. But... Not everything is Jimmy, not everybody's house is. So I think tapping into sort of uh, what I'm so
2: sorry, guys, my internet dropped out and I i am back. Oh, you're good. That's you know right. what you
1: were you were frozen with a nice smile. You got a good oh. <laughs> it wasn't one of the awkward like, yeah. like
2: a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least yeah. at least
1: yeah. and that's you know, the internet people are needing more internet at home yeah. like we upgraded right so yeah. I think Jimmy one of the things I would do if I was watching right now is I would go to buzzsumo.com yeah and I would search the word home search the word real estate search the word house
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I would look at like what are the most popular articles about real estate right now yeah because it changes and there's great, you know, you can go to SEM Rush, you can go to Buzz Sumo, you can go to Google Trends and sort of see like,
0: yeah. what Spark are people Spark talking Grand about? Yeah. Spark Toro, yeah.
1: Spark Toro, Spark. Toro um, yeah. mm-hmm. Rand Fishkin, it's another great one. So, like, and by the way, most of the real estate agents watching, like, you also get a lot of what you should write about and what you should do in your marketing and what content you should create based on just listening. Why don't you want to sell your home right now if it's, a, if it's such a good seller's market? If homes are getting multiple offers above asking price, why aren't you listing? Because we're not to be able to find
0: a home? What, what's a, and, and I, want, I want you both to react to this, two questions, um, I want you to react to this, which is, um, I, by the way Chris, I love the, the subject line, is your house big enough? I think that's a very practical takeaway for our audience right now. It's a great email to send to your database. Um, yeah. But what do you, and Angela, I'll start with you. What is your reaction to the question, if you didn't hire us, and think about this objectively, right? If you didn't hire us, what would you do? In other words, if I was a real estate agent, I'd say, if you didn't hire me, what would you do? And if you're a SaaS product, if you didn't hire us, what would you do? Like, What is your take on that question? Do you think that's a, that's a relevant question to ask somebody to understand their journey and understand their sort of experience?
2: You didn't i I think so, um, yeah, I'm trying to think i I think I've asked a version of that before, um, where yeah, it's like what you know you, clearly you're feeling some kind of pain to mm-hmm. be reaching out to Hull or to me, um, you know asking for a demo. Mm-hmm. what would you have done? Otherwise, like, what was the alternative? And how painful is that alternative? Or like, what is the status quo? Right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that kind of, that is, that's a great question to ask, because it kind of puts them into that mindset of, like, oh, yeah, like this, what I'm doing today, you know, importing spreadsheets every day from one tool to another, like sucks, that takes forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think kind of like harping on the alternative and like the that that pain or that status quo is as a that's a great well, question to ask.
1: Well, wouldn't it- I have an, an anti-question? To me. It's not about why did you choose me. Why didn't you choose the other agent that you talked to? Yeah, right. Like, why didn't mm-hmm. you go with Company X? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no. I mean, you answered it perfectly. Yeah. I just think it's we are, we're always so quick to figure out, like, why did you choose us? Why didn't you choose them?
2: Yeah. yeah. That's well, also you, data yeah.
1: and, you know, insight that you can leverage for sure. Like, um,
2: that's, if that's your
1: agent working alone and they chose me and they didn't go with the team, you know, like I didn't feel like I would get personalized service by working with such a large group of people. And I wanted to know that I would get a single point of contact, right? Like,
2: Um, Yeah. So that is, that is 100% your competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. When someone tells you, um, you know, why, why they selected you over an array of of options. Um, That's kind of something that differentiates you and, um, you know, you should be uh, harping on in your messaging. Certainly. Mm -hmm.
0: It reminds me of, uh, we had April Dunford on the show many months ago, and she's the uh, author of a book called Obviously Awesome. Uh, one of my favorite books of 2019, the, uh, it's a book about positioning. And what I'm hearing both of you say is when you ask that question, you understand who your competitors are. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what we, we tend to have an assumption that our competitors are this company, that company, or this other company. In fact, the competitor might have been, Actually, not the top agent in the area. It might have been Redfin. It might have been mm-hmm. Zillow. It might have been listing it by myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And DIY. Well, to... mm-hmm.
0: Chris. Well, it just could have been doing it
1: yourself. I almost yeah. did it without anybody. I thought I could do it on my own. And I mm-hmm. do think that, like, when you hit, when you get that, and we talked with Marcus Sheridan last week about this, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> giving people the comparison what it's like to work with me versus these other options that are out there, the pros and cons of both. I thought that was good advice last week.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Angela, let's, let's, let's transition and kind of close the show on this topic here, which is um, in real estate, we're familiar with the concept of A-B testing and we're familiar with the concept of experimentation. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, the average um, real estate team does very little of this. Meaning they find a they find a strategy kind of works a little bit and they just sort of ride to the wheels could fall off. I know you've got some experience and some background in this space of experimentation. How does a business? How does a small business that doesn't have analysts that doesn't have a team of engineers? How do you how do you approach like experimentation uh, in the real world? How do you think about that? Because I think this is one of the, one of the kind of differences, Chris, between an amateur marketer and a pro marketer is a as an amateur marketer launches a campaign, you know pats himself on the back, moves on to the next one a pro marketer launches a campaign, analyzes the performance of it, and then runs some future experiment to improve upon that so Angela, maybe just unpack that for us if you could in terms of how you think about experimentation and how you guys gonna be do it on a day to day basis at all
2: yeah so as a as a startup um, we are still trying to figure out a lot of things. Like there's a lot of things that we don't know about our buyers about the market. Um, and so we are having to really just put stuff out there. Um, you know, do do some, some, some research and, and formulate some, um, hypotheses, but then just like try stuff really quickly and collect enough results, um, to decide if we want to double down on it or we want to move into, um, a different area. So, um, and, and I, I feel fairly fortunate at Hull where this is like the part of our DNA and it's kind of um, our founders are really big on trying new things and, um, you know, failing fast if we have to. So we've, we've done a lot of things um, on the acquisition side. You know, we've tried different channels. We've tried Um, different business models and you know many have not worked some of them have Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really about kind of like being agile and um, you know getting the buy-in from not just the marketing team but like the execs at the top down to like every other department that would need to be involved Um, so so yeah I'm not sure if that answers your question but well, but what I
0: was get, what I was getting at there is like is there like what should we be experimenting on like like say say, on the topic of marketing for a moment if you could like what are the things that we should be experimenting with as marketers when you think about it because obviously you're talking about like trying to find a product market fit but like get get maybe a little bit more granular in terms of like what should we be experimenting with if we're thinking about improving our marketing
2: yeah I think it really depends on your company and kind of where you're at as a company like the maturity so as as an early stage tech company um you know product market fit is still something that we are looking for and mm-hmm. growth and acquisition is a big part of um you know of what's gonna determine our success going forward or not mm-hmm. um so we're testing things like um what's going to bring in new customers new converting customers are we going to try webinars are we going to try um outbound emailing are we going to try ads um we're we're pretty focused on on acquisition channels right now just because that is something that um you know our our whole company is looking at as you know a, a success metric yeah um you know as you get more mature, um, I think. You know, there's there's like little things that you can kind of test here and there. Um, you know, web copy, uh, landing page, cut like th- those kinds of things that move yeah. the needle like a little bit. But I think right now we're we're trying like everything. <laughs> pretty pretty big thing, yeah. A lot well, of, a lot of everything.
0: Well, Chris, you know what's interesting about that is that. Um, before we get into rapid fire just one i want you to give a kind of a closing thought on this chris is like i think you know it's, the thing about startups that real estate agents teams should should start to embrace is that angela's part of hall which is a 20-person company in two locations they're trying to find product market fit they're trying to, to grow their brand they're trying to become a unicorn and so the level of experimentation and the level of, of testing is, is so ingrained in their DNA because they know that if, as soon as they start to kind of get that right, it has a huge impact. But as you become a more established company, you lose that. You lose that sort of personality. You use that sort of like innovation-first mindset. And I think for our audience today, I think, I think the takeaway for me, Chris, is like, I think a lot of real estate teams need to start acting a lot more like startups. Start.
1: Yeah. Well, what I
0: was going to say is,
1: you know, Google has a concept called twenty percent time, mm. and I was talking to Tim today about this. That as I get back into running marketing at Curator, yeah, it's incredibly important that we do things that we have no idea if we should, mm-hmm. 20% of our, with, with 20% of what we do. So if there's five days a week, like Friday is like bail Friday.
2: Like,
1: yeah. like TikTok ads, Snapchat ads.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Twitter video pre-roll ads. There's an unlimited number of things that you could try, right? Yeah, and- Hulu ads. They got Hulu
0: ads now. Hulu has ads, Pandora ads, audio ads, like fun fact about Pandora ads, I bought my wife's engagement ring through a Pandora ad. Mm-hmm. I call Well, and I,
1: I was listening to a podcast earlier this week where they said if you want to just kind of test stuff, because going back to the idea of like uh-huh. testing and A B testing, yeah. if you have a thousand people on your email list, mm-hmm. come up with two subject lines, not one. Mm -hmm. send 100 people one of them send 100 people the other one look at which one performs better and send the other 800 people the winner yeah now it would be nice if the technology would just sort of figure all that out and like but there's there's ways to test now like we we got 750 people to register for a sales pitch last week that's a big number We got 200, 250 people to listen the day of the sales pitch. Mm -hmm. But we sent three different emails. We ran three different ads with three completely different angles. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, okay, we see which one did the best. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that there's not enough of an experimentation mindset in the industry. What this industry does too much of, Jimmy.
0: Yeah
1: is copycat marketing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. follow the leader, right? Like the top agent does Zillow, so I'm gonna do Zillow. The top agent sends postcards, so I'm gonna do postcards. The top agent does client appreciation parties. And there's a time and place for that too, right? Remember, it's 80-20. 80% of the stuff should be proven. You have a business, you need to acquire customers and retain customers and get referrals. like. You can't spend all of your time on the twenty percent time. Yeah, but I think creating a culture of you know what what Angela mentioned, which is like it's okay to fail. You know, like I've got this thing I want to do, Jimmy, which is like we spent a thousand dollars running ads on LinkedIn, and here's what happened, mm-hmm. right? Like we spent five hundred dollars trying to generate buyer leads from TikTok, and this is what happened. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I just think people want to learn and people you know somebody has to be the pioneer yeah true somebody has to try the new thing because every single tactic and every single thing that's proven all the follow the leader kind of ideas that we all have somebody like angela somebody like us somewhere tried it first
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Well, Angela, we're going to set you up for rapid fire here, but let me just give the audience three quick takeaways, three kind of themes that we want people to to, uh, end with today's show. The first theme is focus on personalization. You heard Angela and Chris both talk about the importance of personalization with your marketing, how it can really create an audience of one. The customer feels like they're in a position where the marketing message is designed for them. Personalization is something that we need to be thinking about as an industry. Number two was invest in consumer research. Ask your customers tough questions to better understand why they hired you, what their journey looked like that can help inform your marketing campaigns and deliver more, more of an impact. And the third is create a culture of experimentation, mm-hmm. try new things. And I think this is like, we're always looking for what works and sometimes what works to your point, Chris is something that's never been tried before. So I think if our audience can take in our, in our community can take that away, Chris, and apply it to their business, their business would be better, better for it. So Chris, why don't you set up rapid fire here for Angela?
1: Yeah, Angela, so we end the show every week with rapid fire. I'm going to ask you for a book, a podcast, a mobile app, some type of, you know, thing that you listen to, have read, used for yourself that you love. So I'm going to start with a book because, you know, as a marketer uh, working at a startup, I'm guessing you've read a million books or at least have read a few books. <laughs> what is a book? <laughs> that you would recommend that we should read that you either listened to or read recently?
2: So I am one of those readers that is reading like five books at once and Mm -hmm. I'm like slowly making my way through them. Um, I, not marketing related or? Any book. Any book, oh geez. Um, Marketing
1: related would be great.
2: I love psychology books. Um, I'm reading Getting the Love You Want, actually, right now. Okay. <laughs> it's like a relationship book. Um, I'm reading the Michelle Obama's uh, uh, autobiography right now. Mm-hmm. I love to throw in some fiction in there. Um, so, yeah, reading is kind of like an escape for me for, from, from kind of my day-to-day um, professional life. and I like to throw a lot of different things in there.
0: Get- getting the Love You Want. It's, about, it's, a, it's, a, it's a psychology book about love?
2: It is. It's it was, like right. written in the 80s. It's pretty, pretty popular. Um, All but, right. Yeah, it's really interesting so far.
1: Yeah, right. and let me give it a related <laughs> title as well. The CMO of Yahoo from the heyday. He has a book called Love is the Killer App. Mm. Uh,
2: oh.
1: Tim Saunders. That's a really good book.
2: Interesting.
1: Uh, yeah. And you know what's interesting about fiction versus nonfiction, Jimmy? I'll give you a fun fact. I learned this
0: from my publisher starting to sound like Lucas.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I, well, what I learned when I wrote the conversion code working with Wiley, Mm -hmm. uh, because they have all this data from Kindle, you know, Kindle, because it's a digital consumption tool, they get the data. The average business book takes 33 weeks for people to complete. Wow. And the average fiction book takes between six and seven days. So unbelievable. So okay, Angela, beyond the relationship advice category, is there a podcast that you like or listen to that makes you better at your job?
2: Oh, better at my job. I really like Omar Khan's, the SaaS podcast. I think he interviews a lot of great people in, in the SaaS industry. Um, mm-hmm. He actually just had our CEO, Roman, on um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I really like that one. Um, podcasting, I also kind of, I it, that's kind of one of my escape things. You know, mm-hmm. um, I get a lot of my industry and job related knowledge actually through LinkedIn, um, Mm -hmm. Jimmy, which is kind of like (laughs) funny that we met through there. Um, But there's, there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant people on LinkedIn and they are sharing, you know, really, really great insight just in short um, condensed posts that I, I found like super valuable.
0: So is that, is that your killer app then from a business perspective? Because I think, listen, Chris, I think LinkedIn is quietly making a massive comeback. Is that is that like the app that you can't, from a business perspective, Angela, to end rapid fire here, is that the app that you kind can, of can't live without as your sort of go-to resource?
2: It's starting to be. Um, I I was really not very active on LinkedIn until like maybe a few months ago. Um, <laughs> but it's starting to, to turn into this community of sorts, yeah. which I find... Really interesting. I think the way that people are using it has evolved, um, and similarly to um, these these like Slack channels that have popped up too, um, mm-hmm. especially in our industry, this, these like little micro communities of, of like-minded people um, sharing insights and information and asking questions. I think like uh, you know we've we've actually gotten a few customers through some of these Slack channels. Um, it's because like the people that are on there. You know they're your buyers but they're also not jaded by like the tons of emails that they get it's still a very um, authentic community and um, it hasn't been like ruined yet so <laughs> it's been, it's been kind of interesting to, to kind of um, get engaged on those those yeah. types of communities
0: well Chris well I'll, I'll let Chris take us home here but I, I think the, the one just really quick note footnote here Chris I don't, think our, I don't think our audience knows this, but many of you who are watching right now are listening to the replay on Spotify or iTunes, probably uses Slack for your business. Mm-hmm. But what exists out in the world are public Slack communities of like-minded professionals on very specific topics where yeah. thousands of people join them to basically right. have conversations every day. They're like uh, the, they're the adult version of AIM, right? I think that's yeah. what I'm saying now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Angela, for being on. If people want to learn more about Hull, they can go to hull.io. Very cool company, Atlanta-based company, offices in France, which is really cool. You can listen to the water cooler, iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Please subscribe. We'd love you guys to connect with us. You can check out Curator. We just launched a massive new product called Accelerator, our fastest-selling service of all time higher quality leads that are easier to convert. You can go to curator.com to learn more. Angela, have a great evening. Thanks for being a guest on the water cooler. Cheers, everybody.
2: Thank you, guys.